Thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, glad that you are here. Glad that so many of you made time in your schedules to figure this out and be here. Um, I know it's for the ice cream, but we'll get to that as soon as we can. Uh, so, this is James Delorado. He is our new pastor of community and local outreach. Most of you know Trey Fraley. He is the director of student ministries and works on facilities. He's, he's one of our pastors. He's full-time now. We're excited about that. Um, this is Tyler Thompson. He is our new pastor of church formation and worship. And Tyler James, who um, has been our family pastor for the last three and a half years. Is that on? No, no. Okay. Well, I'm the veteran here. He so. is the veteran here and uh, was instrumental in really helping us get through this time of transition. Uh, he worked really hard, took on a lot of other additional duties, and I really appreciate that. I just wanted to say that publicly. Are we recording this? Yes? Okay, you can cut that part out of the recording, though. Okay, anyway. So I have, I, I don't know why I feel more comfortable standing doing this right now, but um, I have no script for this. I thought that would be best, and then five minutes ago I realized that was probably a mistake. But we're going we're gonna to run with it anyway. Um, the purpose is to try to help you understand who your pastoral team is moving forward. We have already started in January, every Tuesday morning, something we've never done before at Arcadia. We have an Arcadia pastors meeting every week, starting at 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning is where we all get together, and the first thing we do is we pray together, and then we... Uh, work through all kinds of business and, and stuff, and that's been really, really good, and I'm glad we're doing that. Uh, the purpose of tonight is to try to help you get to know all of us a little bit, but primarily introduce you to uh, James and Tyler so you can get to know them uh, much better because you have some acquaintance with uh, the, the other three of us, so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, part of what I'm going to do tonight too is also maybe tell you a few of my little uh, stories with them to help set the context, but um, uh, James comes to us locally and uh, was actually a part of, technically not Praxis, but you were around in the very early days of redemption mm-hmm. uh, at Tempe, right, with, uh, with Justin and, oh, with Ricardo, that's yeah, right. It was, like they were both kind of there. Yeah, was Justin was still there, but he wasn't preaching anymore. He's getting ready to go to San Francisco. Talking so you to your mic. Some, I'm sorry? Talking to your oh, mic. Oh, yeah, talking to your mic. There. there you go. That's correct, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did they teach you in seminary? <laughs> Not, nothing. We're, okay. Nothing. I never well, did this in seminary. Well, you must have gone to Golden Gate then. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's called Gateway now, sir. <laughs> oh, but. okay. All right. <laughs> Not Fuller, uh, but so, yeah. So, um, James' best friend is Chad D. Miguel. Does anybody know Chad? Anybody? I think he's yeah. here tonight. Is so, he, is he here tonight? He said he was coming. Yeah, that. So, so he's so such a good friend that he actually just ditched me. But yeah, he's right. ditching you. He right said now, he's praying for me, so that's good. Mm-hmm. But James was uh, his best man in, in in Chad's wedding, which I did, and so we kind of knew of each other. And um, it was a Sunday, I don't know, uh, five months ago, when I said, "Hey, we're rearranging the staff, and this is what we're doing. We're looking for a couple of these pastors." And and Chad said, "Hey, James is looking," and so he got us connected. Mm-hmm. And. Um, the more I talked to you, the more we had a lot of affinity. Both of us like movies, which will annoy some of you, I know that, but um, we actually spent the first interview three hours just talking about The Godfather, and it was like I was ready to hire him right there. Um, but anyway, um, you've been around long enough that you're really known in the community, too. Mm-hmm. 
And it was interesting. I had this happen with both you and Tyler. People finding out that we were talking to you and then coming and going, you need to hire that guy. Um, and it wasn't, I will tell you this, it wasn't just you though. Uh, they were coming to me and saying, he's married to Liz, you need to hire that guy. Because you'll get Liz in the package. <laughs> so where is Liz right now? Stand, I know, you, you hate this. Stand up, Liz. Liz. Yeah. Uh, Liz. Yes. So I have to tell this story. Uh, many of you remember uh, Caitlin Durkin, the former Caitlin Annable. Okay, she, was, she and uh, Patrick were deacons here. So uh, last week, um, after we had our church picnic and the pictures all went out on social media, uh, she sends me a text, and she, the text just was, you hired James Delorado? And, and, and I'm like, oh, no. Because <laughs> you never know what that means. Yeah, Why did you hire him? Do you realize he's a serial killer, and he's in witness <laughs> protection or anything? So, what does it I, say about you that you didn't notice it while, yeah, you, were, right. while you were going through it's the true. process of yeah. hiring me? Yeah, well, that's why I never called anybody about you. So. <laughs> Got it. Um, but, uh, so I text her back, and I said, yeah, how did you know that? She said, I'm looking at the pictures from the picnic, which I missed. And, and uh, she said, I said, so do you know him? And she said, well, actually, uh, I know his wife, Liz. Liz mentored me for a number of years at Highlands Church. So I've heard that from a number of people. So mm -hmm. uh, welcome to you, too, as well, Liz. So, and Liz loves heart. Did you say that? Yeah. Oh, that's we... right. Liz. <laughs> that was another thing I connected with Liz Frank and Con. I are the only two in our church who appreciate heart. She and I were at the last heart concert here in Phoenix together, but separately. Yep. We didn't know it, but we were. She loves heart. The only two people. The only two. Yeah, we were yeah everybody left after. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> I can't tell the church that I listen to Joan Jett music, too, because then I'd be disqualified as a pastor. So anyway, they opened for heart. So anyway, but I digress. <laughs> so just tell us a little bit about your story. You, you, like me, you were not always a Christian. You didn't no. really, yeah, okay. So yeah. tell it. And, and we're going to get into the heavy stuff right away now. So right James is a heavy dude, yeah. all right? I am a heavy dude, physically and spiritually. Um, and uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know how, I feel like we were laughing and now we're going to go into the dips, but um, I'll make a joke here and there. Hopefully it'll help. Uh, yeah, so my story started, and I, don't worry, I'm not going to do every single year from this point, but 1980, now you can figure out how old I am. Um, I was born in 1980 and I was born in the Bronx, New York. So I was born, um, it's like Upper East Bronx and uh, I have a younger brother and an older half-sister. She lives in Kansas and... Um, my parents, so I, I'm Italian and Jewish, and so we kind of grew up a little bit in, in a, a little bit of both worlds, uh, kind of like an Italian household, Italian New York household. Um, you know, I was joking with someone earlier that they should see my Uncle Michael. They would think he's probably from The Godfather or something like that. <laughs> uh, he's a character. So anyway, we grew up, grew up there, and not, not growing up in the church, my parents were, I believe, born again. Um, it was an interesting story there without getting all, all the details, but uh, essentially the way I understood, this is later, didn't know this when I was growing up until my 20s, but my mom would talk to me about it. Grew up in really like the Jesus movement. I don't know if you know about that, but like, you know, hippie, hi hippieism and hippieism and Christianity fused together. Um, and so there was... Sounds like Disneyland. Yeah, it sounds like the greatest, greatest place on earth. Um, so we, so that, was, that was my background growing up in an environment in New York 
uh, and so, and my parents didn't have the greatest marriage, so it was a struggle. I'm, I'm, uh, I forgot to mention, I'm Jewish on my, on my mom's side, so she grew up uh, Jewish, but not really practicing, and then became a, a believer in her 20s as well, I think through my, um, some influence from my dad. Uh, but again, their, their life thereafter didn't look a lot like they were as seriously engaged in, in their faith in some ways, largely because my dad struggled with addiction. So my dad, um, he was in Vietnam, and later, you know, I don't know if you, I'm getting all this, these details too, but there was some just trauma that he experienced, and I don't, he was also an addict and was struggling through that and never really walked through any process of healing in there, and it was wearing on the marriage and things like that. So uh, in 1989, so I was about nine years old, we moved to Arizona. We moved to North Scottsdale before things were, you know, you had to take Pima Road, two-way street to get to the pavilion. Some of you may remember that. But uh, so we lived out there and it was a totally different environment, totally different world, trying to acclimate to a new society, a new, a new place in North Scottsdale. And it became more and more clear, though, that my parents' marriages, marriage was on the fritz and, and there was just a lot of struggle there. So fast forward to in my early teens, like 12, 13 Really, this was one of the catalytic moments of my life because my dad, again, was, was his drinking was increasing. My mom was getting frustrated with him. And uh, there was one, one night where my mom was out of town. My dad was jealous because she was going on work trips with her job. And they were you know, taking, her, taking them uh, a bunch of people to nice places. So, again, and, and, uh, someone who abuses drugs or alcohol, will you look for any excuse? And so he was drinking, and I remember he took me out one night to dinner, and he was driving drunk, swerving, and I remember that being uh, a little scary and nerve-wracking, and I was watching what was happening. I'm the older brother, so I was you know, trying to make sure, I, uh, in, in some ways, looking out for my mom in that too. But I remember coming home, feeling like it was just weird. My dad, he wasn't really abusive um, verbally or, or emotionally or physically, thankfully. He was fun, but he was just not, he was just neglectful. And he was kind of lazy and just kind of didn't apply himself in a lot of ways. And so I, to, I found the alcohol in the garage, told my mom when, when she got home, and they got in a big fight. And they sent my brother and I around the corner to our friend's house. And, I, and this is a distinct moment that I've since have looked back on and seen how much it has affected me, but he came around the corner while we were playing, called my brother and I to the car, and actually I talked years later, my brother remembers it too, but I remember him directing it at me and saying, thanks for ratting me out, Jim, they call me Jim, and as you can imagine, 12 years old, and I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing, and then I get shamed and told that I, I should have been on his side when I was scared. Um, that eventually precipitated thereafter with my parents getting a divorce. And so a lot of that was some of the blame I was feeling uh, on that, of course, counseling, all kinds of things. But that was, again, it was already hard enough coming to a new environment, being in North Scottsdale, different from where we grew up, not knowing anybody. And then I eventually, so I went to Desert Mountain Middle School and then Horizon for high school. But those times I was very quiet and shy and insecure growing up in, in those environments. And it got worse, of course, when divorce eventually happened and we were just living with my mom. And we, and then basically high school, I just ended up slowly finding the, the wrong crowd, so to speak, or the folks that would uh, essentially um, validate an identity for me. I just needed something and got me out of my shell a little bit. So that involved drugs, alcohol, stealing, all kinds of stuff, rebelling really. And I was living you know, with my mom and she was constantly trying to straighten me out and I was rebelling against her. And so that was like my whole teens into, into my 20s. Um, and again, this is a time where I don't, 
I don't know anything really about Jesus. I didn't grow up. We would go to church once in a while on Christmas and Easter, but I had no idea of anything about being a church-going person or being involved in community like this. And um, it got worse and worse and worse. And along the way, I would have, interestingly, some people, even my dad, share a little bit with me about Jesus, about him coming back and revelation and things like that. And it would always, it would pique my interest. Uh, Never really knew, again, what that was. Kept kept descending into... um, all kinds of bad things. So in my late teens, I ended up, um, uh, again, through a lot of rebelling, I ended up finding, or, or like things started falling apart for me. Um, around 20, 20, or 19, 20, and 21, I just hit walls. A lot of my idols I, um, of drinking alcohol, uh, you know, sexual immorality, things like that started cr- crumbling in my life. Uh, one to the point where I actually uh, received a DUI and had to go to Tent City for 10 days work release. <laughs> so you hired an ex-con, did you know that? Um. <laughs> okay, believe it or not, this sounds very similar to Tom Schrader's story. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, interesting. Uh, not for you to be proud. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's nice to know I can relate to, some, to someone. Yeah, so, yeah. We'll have stories in the kingdom to share. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so there. Uh, so anyway, it, it was, as you can imagine, major wake up call for me because I knew in the midst of all this, I would pray ritualistic prayers. I would knew in a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of just depravity that I'm not doing what I should be doing. There's got to be something. And I would pray to God, didn't even know who, you know, necessarily what that was or who that was. All that time was experiencing anxiety. At times, I would, the only thing I could really feel, um, hope in was reading the Bible. I would just pick it up and read it. So anyway, that DUI was in 2003. That woke me up and served my time, did all the things I had to do outside. But then, so again, that idol failed. The thing I was worshiping failed. The thing I was escaping into failed. Um, I had a relationship that blew up that summer. That failed. And and my friends were, they didn't uh, like me anymore because of just a lot of things. And that was like, a personal hell for me because, you know, people pleaser, love people to like me. And I was like, oh, I never had any conflict with anyone. And so eventually it just led to a place of feeling very deeply depressed in the end of 2003 leading into 2004. I never attempted suicide, but I would think about it in a sense of how bad things were. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of, I felt like evil oppression, like in my thoughts and in just ways I would live my life. I was I was just, I was full of fear. And, and then it, it was weird because in that time I kind of hit a wall and my friend, Mike Miller, um, he actually, I think he's, he, he's been attending uh, gateway for a while, but he was the guy that was the cool guy that brought me into, uh, the bad crowd when I was a freshman going into sophomore year. God used him to speak a, like one hour of truth to me about me placing my fear in, and being afraid of evil and all these other things in my life rather than putting my fear in God because he deserves that and he's worthy of that. And it's not a fearful, I'm afraid of you, but a, like a reverence and knowing he's going to protect me. I remember I was sitting at Boston Market in, <laughs> at Franklin Wright in the 101 and I still, to this day, that parking lot is like sacred ground <laughs> for me. Um, remembering a moment that switched a gear for me and, I was, and he was always encouraging me to get baptized because he was having a spiritual kind of revival in his heart and coming back to faith and understanding it that way. So anyway, that led into the fall of that year, into the, into the spring of that year, where I just moved away from all my friends. I started focusing in on, I need to, 
I need to um, get away from this lifestyle. And I went to church on my own, and that was interesting. I just stayed there. I, did, I just wanted to stay throughout. They were, they were having like a luncheon with some moms and stuff, and they're like, hey, come sit with us. I'm like, all right. Uh, and they're like, you want to go to the children's ministry meeting? I'm like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I shouldn't be there. But I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's not a good place for a guy like me. But I'll go uh, because I just wanted to stay, and I felt like people, like this is, I felt peace to be there. I felt uh, like I could be safe there. Um, not, not for any, I don't know if anyone else felt safe, but, uh, <laughs> but um, no, I was calm. I, I, I wouldn't have let you I was, in. You, I wouldn't you have let you in the yeah, meeting, yeah. no. Yeah. Thank, said, thank you. Man, they were dropping the ball over there, but Tyler James would never do anything like that. So, uh, so <laughs> what, what church was this? This at? is Northridge, Northridge oh, Community Northridge. Church, okay. which now right. has been, it's come back to Scottsdale Bible, yeah. and it's Northridge, uh, or Scottsdale Bible North uh, Campus. Um, anyway, so... I was baptized, I, so I, I went to a baptism class, I just stayed around, I wanted to get involved, I played softball, I did whatever I could to just be present, and then I was baptized um, by Pastor Dan King in uh, 2004 on Leap Year, February 29th, so I'm actually, whenever people think that I'm immature as a believer, I just say I'm really only four years old as a Christian, because <laughs> it's Leap Year's this year, so that's my celebration, but, uh, yeah. but the reason why I say that is because at my baptism was the moment... It, it was it was a watershed moment for me because that's when I my my dad was there my mom was there my friend Mike was there and a few other people were there and I just remember Dan this is the first time I really said out loud to anyone that I wanted to follow, follow Jesus and I said follow Jesus to whatever end and you know he baptized me and I just remember crying in the bathroom stall changing going into church feeling free feeling feeling this understanding of grace in a way that I could never comprehend before, I don't think, without God intervening in my life and feeling forgiveness and feeling like, really feeling like everything is going to be okay. Somehow it's going to be okay. And I, from then on, it was, um, let me just, I just want to be around the church. And so, you know, a lot of years have happened since then, but essentially I just poured myself into Highlands Church was the place we ended up after there. That's where I met Liz and she was like, I don't know, this crazy guy. <laughs> Liz, was, uh, Liz was someone I really looked up to there, uh, and I still do, but I was not in a place of dating at that point. Got it to work through on a lot of things, obviously. So from you my didn't previous immediately life. pursue Liz when you went over to No, uh, pursuing other ladies, but um, not, <laughs> <laughs> we not Liz. We were practicing, and then, yeah. okay. Yeah. I just wasn't ready to... <laughs> For the she was the real prize, and you were just yeah, kind of trying was, some things out. Like what okay. C.S. Lewis says, we play with mud pies when you know our, okay. father, our father wants more for us. So then <laughs> that sounds really bad. I just realized that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm really sorry. We are recording, right? This I don't be, mean it. I don't know what I meant by this. You will know be the mean. most listened to podcast. We're not, we're in not the recording of this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I love all those people. Shout out. Um, so, see, you know, I, and I still don't have it together. Um, so anyway, it was a long process and it has been, and I'm still on a journey. But really after that, I wanted just to serve in the church. I didn't know how, I didn't know what. I would just go to children's ministry, to go to youth ministry. I served in youth ministry for six years at Highlands, did outreach locally and, and mission trips. Um, but it then, it, you know, make the long story short on the rest of it, it just became more clear that I wanted to pursue um, pastoral ministry. 
specifically with adults because youth ministry, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something that I really felt passionate about. And I was going, I went to Arizona Christian University, Southwestern College before it was in Arizona Christian University, and then um, did that and just went through a long process. So the last 10 years, we, Liz and I got married almost 10 years ago, and um, it's been a, a constant process of God shaping, molding me, and, and in a lot of ways, keeping, I don't want to sound this, make this sound horrible, but like holding things at bay for me until there was a time where I was ready. And I, and that was, that's just been a long, a long, long process on how that's worked. And even through that, so a lot of the experience has been uh, through pain, dealing with my own suffering, my own sin, but also some loss in life. Cause around the time that I became a believer, my father died suddenly. So this was in 2004. And I remember I came back from a mission trip uh, we went to Argentina and I came back and was telling him and, you know, he was excited for me. And then I got a call. He lived up in Northern Arizona area and said that he had passed away. And this was suddenly on December 2nd. So that like marked one point in that journey. And then, um, and then really again, through a lot of just going to San Francisco and coming back and trying to find my footing in ministry, doing church planning, working at some nonprofits and parachurch stuff. Um, we came back in 2017 from, from California, not knowing what I was going to do in, in ministry and still struggling with things. And, uh, to that, to my mom having cancer and, and then passing away in 2017. So I really look at my life at bookends from that moment where I trusted Christ and my life was renewed. And then I, there was loss immediately and working through a lot of the stuff I've had to deal with, even with my father, not, you know, not having a, a good father who was there all, as much as he could have been. And then the bookend of really my mom passing away in 2017 and really a whole, a whole section of my life closing down. I don't know if any of you have ever lost, you know, your parents or, or a child at home, like North Scottsdale was, I was 20, 20 plus years. And I really, we sold the house and moved away. And I remember having, I was shaking often because of how, what does this new world look for me? Look like for me? What is this new journey in life? Because, you know, it was felt like, a, you know, those those years in between and embarked on something new. So anyway, and that's and then a lot of it has been wrapped in just calling and and wrestling with God in a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. So I'll stop talking and it's been a long, but uh, that's yeah, that's my story. Okay, yeah, we're gonna come back eventually mm-hmm. to you, uh, but we're gonna move to Tyler now. <clears throat> it's Tyler Thompson. So, uh, by the way, one, one, you, you, have a, you have a kid, right? Yeah. Yes, our son, Jeremiah, he's six. He just turned six years old, so okay. he's our only son right now. So, right. yeah. Okay. Um, Tyler, tell us about your journey. Sure. Uh, so, my name is Tyler. I um, <clears throat> come with my wife, Liz. And, <laughs> and where's she? It's a different Liz. She may be <laughs> with... Our son Dallas, oh, yeah. in, the Dallas back. in the back. Okay. Uh, so yeah. we have a one-year-old named Dallas, and then we have a five-year-old named Savannah, and an eight-year-old named Charlotte. And so we're all city names. You can remember it by all city names. Um, I've been in uh, some, for- some form of ministry. There's Liz and Dallas in the back there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're very cute. <laughs> So I've been in some form of ministry uh, since I was 16. Started leading worship when I was 16 years old. I'm I'm 41 now. I was born in 79, and um, uh, was leading worship as a high schooler over at um, Shiloh Evangelical Free Church, uh, which is uh, Paradise Valley over that direction. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Yeah. Uh, and then started leading worship also in high school at a, a church called Palmcroft Baptist Church. And so those were my churches when I was here. Uh, we went, uh, I went over to California to go to college at Biola University. And there I was uh, wanting to be a music major. I didn't know what that would look like exactly. I knew that I, I liked a guy named Michael W. Smith and kind of wanted to, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> friends are friends forever. <laughs> I went west, young man. Yeah, yeah. So Michael W. Smith was my guy. Um, and uh, Third Day as well. Yeah, those are, and DC Talk. DC Talk, yeah. Newsboys, also Newsboys, yeah. I knew I wanted to do music, and I kind of those were the, the people that I wanted to be like. Um, I, I knew that I couldn't be like Mariah Carey, and um, I was not cool enough to be like Boys to Men. And so, uh, Michael W. Smith was going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was what I was going to do. Um, when I got to Biola, they said, "Hey, we like your voice. It, it sounds like you. There's a lot more present there that you could." work on your voice and, and train in classical music. And I didn't, I didn't really know what classical music uh, was. At, at the time, Phoenix didn't have a lot of classical music going on, so I didn't... I, Still I, there don't. Was, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot, a lot of country music. Uh, I remember a lot of country music. And uh, there was also um, Michael Libby Smith. And so I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't I didn't know what... Uh, what classical music was, but I gave it a try and found that I really loved it. So I, I, I really enjoyed the craft of developing your voice and uh, the, the art and the beauty was there in classical training. Um, so I did started singing a lot of um, opera and musical theater and um, oratorio. And uh, I found that I not only liked the, the, the music there, but I liked the, the acting and the storytelling that was involved, uh, the way that opera would sort of blend a lot of the arts together to be able to communicate a, a, a narrative. Uh, really appreciated uh, what, what was possible in that realm. And so started doing a lot of opera, was also leading worship at the time uh, as a student at Biola. And, um, knew that coming out of Biola, I was going to continue to do music, and, but I didn't know exactly what. I, I knew that I, I liked to lead worship, I knew that I liked to perform music, and I, I knew that I liked to teach music, so I was teaching voice lessons and, and piano lessons. Uh, right towards the end of my time at Biola, um, my parents divorced, and uh, so that was really sad for, for me um, and for my sister. Uh, we were we had lived we had lived here in Phoenix um, and well we lived in Wickenburg for a, a couple of years from eight to ten or eight to eleven and then we lived in in, in Phoenix until I was eighteen um, and so we uh, I, I I wrapped up Biola and, and wanted to come back and and live in my parents' house my dad had left and wanted to live with my mom and so came back right after Biola and uh, found that uh, the, the thing that they called the Biola bubble was really true. Um, the, the people used to joke that Biola felt like a 24-hour-a-day, 365-days-a-year uh, uh, Christian summer camp. It's just, it's, just, uh, it's, it's um, sheltered and uh, hard to do anything wrong there, although we found lots of ways to do things wrong at, at Biola. Uh, when I came back to Arizona, though, I, I really had... Um, kind of a prodigal son experience. Um, I, I tell people that I've, I feel like I've been both the older brother and the younger brother in that, in that parable. That growing up, um, I accepted Christ when I was four in my backyard with my dad um, and, and really enjoyed being a Christian and, and reading, reading the scripture and, and going to church and, and having the, the rhythms of, of, of walking with Christ. Um, and so I kind of did those things and I did those things well um, and, and felt like God was kind of lucky to have me on his team. 
um, and and and, the, and I was and I was ready for my inheritance uh, from from him. So uh, they uh, <laughs> and you know when you start thinking that way, it doesn't work out very well for you. Um, so I, I graduated. Biola came back over here and and really uh, had a period where um, I felt like I you know since I, I I demanded my inheritance from the Lord and I wanted to go do my own thing and so I had a real prodigal son experience here and and uh, that was when I was probably 22, 23, um, and and 24, um, and and I, we can tell I can tell you those stories some other time. <laughs> I don't want to bore you at those tonight, but um, found that I was making bad decisions. Wanted to do life on my own and 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 really spiraled uh, in some decisions that were that were bad for me. Um, to the point where I felt like I was eating with the pigs. I was I was uh, spending my time ways that I shouldn't. And it was clear to me that life was better in my father's house and that I missed being there with, with God. Um, had a similar, you said that, that the parking lot um, over at Frank Lloyd Wright and 101 is like sacred space for you. I had sort of a similar experience <laughs> to, to James' Boston Market um, experience. Uh, and, and that was in my shower. Uh, so after... <laughs> <laughs> very, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> I was not naked yeah. in Boston Market. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so, I, so I was. I was naked. And, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to boost the podcast rating even yeah. more, you know? Um, yeah, I found that after, after really having wandered from the Lord... Um, I was gonna. I'd stopped going to church, and I was gonna go to church for the first time. And and I woke up, and I was I was hungover from the night before, and I was very uh, sad uh, about the state of, of affairs and 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 where I was and and what I had done, and um and and I was mostly sad that I wasn't um, near the Lord. Uh, that he was he was near to me, but I wasn't near the Lord. Um, I wasn't walking with him. And uh, so I, I just, I broke down crying in the shower and, um, and I knelt and I was weeping and I asked the Lord, I said, God, I can't do this. I can't do this without you. And um, I, in that moment, I, I, I felt the presence of the Lord in my life in a way that I just never had before. The, the spirit of God uh, wrapped his arms around me. The father wrapped his arms around me in a way that um, was just very real and present uh, in, in my brokenness and in my pain. Um, and uh, the, t- the tears that I was crying uh, turned to tears of, of joy because I knew that um, God loved me, not because of anything that I could do or anything that that I, I would do to be able to please him or to earn his favor, but that because I was his child. And I remember thinking at that time that I'd gone through some of the hardest things I was going to go through, That, but, um, but if God was for me, what could man do to me? And uh, so I kept crying, but the, cry, the tears were more like joyful at that point. And I uh, got out of the shower, put some clothes on, and I went to church. And, um, and the church that, that I was attending, um, they wrapped their arms around me as well. And so I felt that fellowship of, of the, the church body mm-hmm. in a moment of, of weakness uh, where, where God was strong in the midst of my, my weakness and brokenness. So he set me on a new path. Um, some friends from California invited me to come back out there and live in their house. Uh, so I did. I w- went back out and began to just uh, walk on, an, on, on a new path. Um, spent some time uh, just hanging out with a lot of friends. And I, I enrolled in my master's degree uh, at Cal State Fullerton. So, so I, at Biola, I got a bachelor's of voice performance. And then at, at, um, went back and got my master's degree in voice performance at Cal State Fullerton. And while I was there... Um, I recognized a student that had gone to Biola. Her name was Elizabeth Browning. 
And, uh, and I had this memory, I was telling these guys the other night, I had this memory of Liz riding her bike across campus. Um, and that's just, that memory to this day is just stuck in my mind. Um, although at Biola, we didn't really spend any time together. She thought, she could tell I was kind of the pretentious, uh, stuck up Christian that thought he knew everything. Um, and uh, she was not having any of that. So I was not fooling her in the slightest. Uh, but after I'd gone through my humbling... <laughs> uh, um, that whole shower experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You can't unthink about that now, can't you? <laughs> uh, after, <laughs> after I had gone through my whole shower, shower experience, uh, she felt like I was a different person. And so I ran into her on the, the campus of Cal State Fullerton, and um, she was friends with one of my roommates, and so we spent a lot of time just being friends. And uh, she could tell that God had uh, really course-corrected me and my life and, and that I was kind of in a better place to be able to, one, follow the Lord and, two, have a relationship with a woman. <laughs> and so we started to be friends, and uh, I, would, I would actually try to, um, I would try to take her to lunch, and I'd say, are you hungry? And she'd say, no, and, uh, <laughs> but, but I'll go sit with you. And so then I'd get, like, a personal pan pizza, and she'd eat, like, half of it. <laughs> even though she wasn't hungry <laughs> um, that's like, how the really great marriages start yeah yeah I'd like call her and ask her if she wanted to go to a concert with me and she'd call me like a week later and say oh did you call me and then finally <laughs> so finally like a year of that went by and we we're just friends and I just got really blunt and I said hey I think we should go on a date and her head went like this. <laughs> and she saw me in a different, she'll, she'll tell, she could tell you sometimes, she says that she saw me in a completely different light from that point on. Um, so we started a date and we got married. Uh, we've got three wonderful kids. Uh, I've spent most of my 20s uh, doing a few different things. I performed opera. So we, we, I sang with Los Angeles Opera and uh, Long Beach Opera and Sarasota Opera and Toledo Opera and a bunch of other companies. And I uh, really loved that. Um, also was doing ministry and leading worship during my 20s and then teaching at, some, at, at Biola University and Fullerton College and et cetera. Um, and so uh, when I turned 30, though, the Lord really sort of um, shifted my heart to where it, it seemed like um, I liked music, uh, but, I, but I loved God and his people more than music. And so he really started to form my heart as a, as a pastor and that I... That, um, I believed that he was leading me to be a, a pastor in the more proper sense of the word that you would, you would think, and, and shepherding and discipling and, and teaching. Um, and so I started to do more homework. I went back to, and to get a seminary, seminary degree, so I, I went and got a, a Master of Divinity at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, started doing some more preaching. Um, and then I come to you from California. Most recently, I was a lead pastor at a church in California um, called La Habra Christian Church. Uh, was there for as their as their lead pastor for about two and a half years. Really enjoyed the the time as a lead pastor, um, and uh, preaching and teaching. But the thing that I really appreciated the most about it was the opportunity to develop leaders in the church and to help to disciple and help to raise up uh, the next generation of leaders. So. Uh, the people at my church thought that I was really young as a 41-year-old, um, but I tried, to, I, I tried to help them understand that, that I'm actually not that young anymore. Jaden came to a meeting last night for our worship ministry, and she said they were all old people there. <laughs> and so uh, 41 is really not that, that, that young anymore, um, but it's not that old either. And what I, what I appreciate uh, being the age that I'm at is that um, 
I can, I can learn from the generations that came before, um, but that also I can begin to think about how to develop and raise up leaders in the generation that are after me, because uh, the time for them to, to begin to stand up and serve and lead in the church is now, um, not, not 15 years from now. So I'm excited, very excited. We were, uh, I was a lead pastor at La Habba Christian Church, um, but I had to also do some extra jobs on the side. And so California's expensive. I don't know if you're aware, but California is very expensive to live. And um, our son Dallas was born last year, so there was five of us and our German Shepherd mixed dog in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, no yard. We were a little bit cramped. And I know that people do that, so, so I don't want to sound like, like, you know, like I was owed something better than that. But lit, I was working three extra jobs on the side. I was teaching at three different universities. Uh, Biola, Azusa, and Hope International University. And I was finding that I was working about 70 hours a week and then driving another 15 to four different cities. And so midway through this last semester, my wife and I started to talk about what it might look like to, to slightly alter the, the course of our future to where we could continue to serve the Lord uh, joyfully uh, without um, having our family suffer in the midst of all of that. Uh, so I came out here to visit my dad and uh, found that uh, home prices here were a lot less than in California, and gas prices were a lot less than in California, water prices a lot less than California. I like showers. And so, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I came back home, and, and my, dad, so he, my dad still lives on the other side of town. My, my cousin uh, lives over on Scottsdale and Shea, and and so started to talk and pray with my wife about what it might look like to come out here. Um, my, my dad knew a couple of guys in the area that put me in touch with Tyler Johnson. So I started having a conversation with Tyler Johnson over Zoom and really appreciated those conversations, really appreciated Tyler uh, and his leadership, really appreciated what, what uh, I heard was hearing about Redemption Church on the whole and uh, what Redemption is looking to do. Um, in Phoenix and uh, in the greater Arizona area and the ways that redemption's going about uh, raising up <laughs> leaders. Really appreciate the all of life for all of Je is, is all for Jesus um, statement that is made over and over again uh, because as I've been studying music and theology and the integration of the two, I've really appreciated how we can see God reflected in things like opera and an oratorio and worship music and Michael W. Smith and Boys to Men. <laughs> And so I've really appreciated and heart and heart. And heart. <laughs> so uh, we we might disagree on that one. No, I, know. <laughs> I have to listen to heart. I don't really know heart that much. Yeah. Uh, so fiction. We'll work on it. Yeah, we'll work right. on it. Um, so I really appreciated uh, what I was hearing about redemption. And, and Tyler said, "Well, you should talk with Frank. There's there's something that's opening up at Arcadia." And so I started to have good, some good conversations with Frank as well over, over Zoom and over, um, the, uh, over the phone. Really appreciated how um, I, I shared some of my prodigal son type stuff with Frank and with Tyler and really appreciated how you guys didn't um, uh, <laughs> throw any, any kind of rejection my way or you, it didn't phase you guys. Uh, you, you expected to me to be broken. You expected in my weakness for us to point towards Jesus and his gospel. And I just really appreciated that as well. And, and you saw how God can use those kinds of 
of things for his, his for That's our good true. and for yeah. his glory and ministry. So we're super excited about the idea of joining Redemption and Redemption Arcadia in, in particular. And, uh, and then Frank asked if I'd be open to doing church formation and worship. And I, th- I thought about it, prayed about it, talked with Liz about it. And not only would I, was I okay with it, I was just super excited about doing it. Um, the, the opportunity to be able to uh, serve in something that I'm passionate about, that I really enjoy, um, in a church that understands that it's not just about music, um, but that there really is spiritual formation, there's church formation going on as we worship the Lord together. Uh, was super excited to come join this team. So a couple of other, um, like, like James stories, but for you too, it was amazing how this happened. Um, uh, first of all, um, after you came out and, and, and did the last visit here, and then we offered you the job, and a couple days later you called up and said, yeah, we're going to do it, um, uh, you had to work through telling your, your elders and your congregation that you were leaving them. And... Um, about a week after you did that, you maybe don't know this, so I'm telling you now. <laughs> I was in my shower. No, I wasn't in my shower. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we got an email from one of your leaders at uh, La Habra Christian Church. Uh, and that email was actually sent to Neil Pitchell. They didn't know where to send it. So Neil's our um, Redemption Central um, uh, executive pastor. Uh, sent it to him. And, and if you print it out, it's two pages, single-spaced, 12-point font, about what a wonderful hire we had made in you. And it was just line-listing your resume. And there was a lot of stuff in there that you were too humble to tell me during the interview process. That was pretty amazing. Uh, but also the week that uh, you came out and we were trying to form the offer and make sure that it was going to work with Central and with us and the elders and you and all that stuff. Um, I also, how many of you know who Justin Unger is? Have you ever heard of Justin Unger? So he's Larry Wright's uh, son-in-law. So if Larry Wright was the guy that God used to lead Tom Schrader to Christ. And Justin is... Perhaps if you wanted to, um, if you want to quantify these sorts of things that we shouldn't quantify, but if you wanted to, uh, Justin might be the premier Christian worship leader in the nation. Um, He's incredibly talented. If you went to Tom Schrader's memorial service, he was the one that led uh, the music there. It was absolutely incredible. Um, uh, So while we're working through and trying to make this work out right, Justin Unger texts me and he said, I hear you're talking to Tyler Thompson. And again, it was like, oh man, what's he going to tell me? You know? And so I, so I sent back, you know, yesh, you know, Michael Scott. Anyway, so I sent back yes. And, um, um, and he sends me this long text. He, and I'm paraphrasing now, but essentially it was, you need to do whatever you can to get him on your team. He's incredible. So there you go. And then just... To make sure you understand this as well, remember when we all went out to lunch at Keegan's uh, with Jackie and all that? Um, you know, Jack, the first thing Jackie said when she got in the car is, Tyler's fine, but Liz is a find. <laughs> so that's all she cared about. <laughs> but again, it was just like so many places of confirmation, you know, um, the way God worked, worked all that out. Jackie felt so... It, she, 
Sometimes it's hard for Jackie to feel at ease with people because, because being a pastor's wife, that's just hard to do sometimes. Um, uh, I hope you can understand that. She felt thoroughly at ease with you and with Liz and the kids and all of that, and so that was really, really helpful too. So we're glad you're here. Thanks. All right. Um, I want to go to Trey next. And, and this is going to be a little bit different with Trey and, and Tyler James um, because I feel like people sort of know you a little bit and someday we should probably do more in-depth backstories with you guys too. But I want to ask you some different questions that I think um, might help people who even already know you a little bit kind of shape their understanding of who you are. And I have two questions for you. Um, Fire away. All right. Is, is your wife Hannah here? Yeah. Where is she? Could we? <clears throat> she's she's up here. She's a Come cute on, one Anna, in the denim up. jacket. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what. This isn't one of the questions, but just kind of tell us what your job is. If you somebody said, "What do you do?" It would tell us your job. Here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm the student director. So yeah. Ooh, ooh. Do I have any student folks in the in the house? Yeah. Okay. They're all sitting next to Hannah. Okay. Um, so I'm the student, student guy, uh, which is middle school through high school. I'm talking with people I'm praying through right now, starting a college ministry, uh, cats out of the bag. And, and then also, uh, between me and Randy, who's one of the guys who helps me out, we, uh, do most of the setup, teardown and facility stuff. And then, um, try and communicate with some of our vendors with, with stuff that breaks or doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, where did you go to college? <clears throat> I went to Grand Canyon University. Yes. Four oh, years. Good. Yeah. So, Go-ups. you have your degree from there. And what's your degree? Yeah. Uh, biology. Okay. I'm going to come back to that. Okay. I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> yeah. It's a very uh, <clears throat> theological. It is. God, God created biology, man. And it's in true. the end, biology wins. Just remember that. Okay. <laughs> um, we're going to die. <laughs> Physically. Anyway, um, how did you meet your wife? So I worked at Dutch Bros for four years. You probably couldn't tell. <laughs> so, uh, Were you like this before Dutch Bros? <clears throat> yeah, he just asked if I was like this before Dutch Bros or if they made me. <laughs> they, they hired me after thinking I was weird, too weird to work there, actually. And then I meshed in. So uh, they actually brought me back from the weirdness level I was at. So, um, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. So, <laughs> uh, I was working at Dutch Bros. Uh, it was one of my last shifts working with one of my good friends. She was leaving to go to Oregon. She had written my number on a lid and said, I'm going to give this to some random girl that you talk to. And I laughed and I was like, that's really unprofessional. You're not going to do that. So, <laughs> can you just imagine like rolling up and then somebody's like, oh, hey, here's my number on your lid. It's, <laughs> It's like, I'm trying to get my coffee over here. So I heard coffee's an aphrodisiac. Here's my number. No, that's weird. So um, I didn't think she was going to do it. And funny thing you is... Know, you know, you are bringing new understanding to the idea of caffeine therapy. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's what's going okay. on here. Yeah. Side, uh, I won't tell that story. Okay. Anyway, ca- pe- people get weird, like weird when, they're tr- when you give them their coffee. Like they love you a little too much. And I'll leave it at that. If you okay. want to go get some coffee and we can talk about it later, I'll, I'll be... I'll be happy to tell you those stories. Um, but so I'm working, uh, Hannah rolls up, and of course in my mind, I'm like, ow, ow. She comes up. Um, the lid is not in the back of my mind until halfway through the conversation I had with her, and I'm like, 
Lord, please give her this lid. So I'm like talking with her. Uh, I see a tattoo and I see a tattoo of a cross. And so I'm like, okay, that one has to be a Christian tattoo. So I'm like, hey, what's that tattoo? We start talking about Jesus. And I'm like, yes, she loves the Lord. So then we start talking about like, I'm like, what church you go to? She's like, oh, I live in LA. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that people could be saved in California. <laughs> it's a joke. So then... I ended up buying her a drink after this great conversation that was way longer than what I'm having now. She drove by. I don't know if you've w- w- waited in the line at Dutch Bros. That's why. Because we're meeting our future wives. And so... <laughs> she, she starts driving away. And I turn around. And I'm like, she, you should have totally... She would have been the perfect girl to give that number to. And then this other girl who, had, who did not write the number on the lid. Her name's Courtney. She, like, like linebacker, grabs the lid off the top of the machine, shoves me out of the way, like, and I was actually kind of impressed by, like, the football hit, or hockey check, you would get that. Yes, yeah. So then she leaps through the window, and with this, like, horrible screech, wait, yells, and Hannah is like, oh, gosh, they're going to get me because he bought my drink, and I'm going to have to pay, or something like that, I don't know. So she runs, like, whoo, catches up to Hannah, gives her the, the number with the lid, and it's like, hey, you got to text this guy. Now, of course, Hannah being Hannah, if you know her, she would never text anybody, but she went home and her roommate, who, love her, convinced Hannah to text some random guy who, she got the number, don't know if it's a real number, but I'm going to text him, she remembered my name, so the next day she texts me, and then she's like, if you're ever in LA, we should hang out, and I was like, hey, let's Skype, I'm not letting this one get away, so then I put a ring on it. (laughs) And I didn't stop there, we are also having a baby. What's the due date? Due date is August. So we just hit like that, 12, month. 12, week, okay. 12 weeks. Right. Seven? August 7th is when it is. Okay. But it's 12 weeks, right? Or 13? Okay. Almost 13. Yeah. So I uh, have an app for it this, so I don't forget. This summer I asked, um, I, I, I took Tyler and Trey into the green room and asked them if um, they would ever be interested in preaching on Sunday. And they both said yes. And uh, so uh, after that rendition, I just want you to know that it is on, it is on March 8th that Trey is going to preach his first sermon here at Redemption Arcadia. So. Thank you. You're, you're clapping, but I know so, that you're probably like, okay, don't come to church on that day. Here's, here's what I want you to do. Everybody on March 8th, stop at Dutch Bros on the way to church and bring in a Dutch Bros. So, so um, if you can't, just briefly... Tell us this, you're, you know a lot about biology, but that led you into kind of a different, you, you've had another career too. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about so that. I'm also a paramedic. I did that for, I've been doing that for th- over three years. Um, I still work, still am working for that company. I am now just a trainer there, so I don't have to work the 12-hour shifts with what I'm doing here, because um, I did that for a little bit, and it was brutal. So okay. now I just go over there when I can every now and again, but... I actually wanted to go in the military and do search and rescue, and so I went and became a paramedic, and then the military didn't want me because I worked at Dutch Bros, so, <laughs> um, and then, so anyway, I was a paramedic, private ambulance, and then um, God kind of like f- brought me here, and Tyler and you have like been men- mentoring and bring me, bring me along that route, and so... I mean, it's kind of weird to think about it. I thought I was going to be, like, jumping out of a helicopter to go save people, but now I'm in, like, a way more important role. Mm -hmm. 
um, and I actually mean that. So, like, pretty psyched to be where I'm at. And so now my side hustle is sticking needles in people's arms. Okay. Um, And you've seen some trauma. You don't have to elaborate, but you've you've been to scenes. You're first responder, essentially. And so we talked about a little bit about that the other day. Um, I have seen some, like, pretty gruesome things. And it does mess with you, but the worst thing is actually the smells. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. There, there's like a three-week span where I just everywhere I went, I could smell. I won't tell you what it was, but it, that's probably what messes with people the most in emergency medicine yeah. is, this, is the smell of yeah. gory things. Yeah. So speaking of, by the way, um, James completely forgot to mention, you also teach Christian worldview as an adjunct instructor at, at Grand Canyon University, right? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. We like that. So, Go Lopes. All right. Cool. <laughs> Tyler. So, Hello. Hi. So there's two things I want people to know about you if they don't know this yet, okay? Okay. One of them is about the trauma that you had in, I believe it was in high school, with your back. Hmm. And there's pretty, quite a story there. Sure. And the other one is just uh, with, um, are you ever going to finish your tattoos? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, too, um, you know, I've been working with... Tyler and James now for just a couple weeks, but I just want you guys to know it's been such a joy working with these guys. Um, It's been really fun to be surrounded by other pastors who think big and we've like the brainstorming sessions and just, and James, your heart for, um, your heart for Jesus in the gospel is one of the clearest I've interacted with. And I've, I've been encouraged a bunch of times just talking to you about that stuff. And Tyler, the way that you have loved already, I mean, it's been two weeks, but the way you've, you've loved already the musicians here uh, and the band, which was so needed, and we're just really, I'm just, I've, I've loved it. So, yeah. anyway. Um, Trey, you're cool. Frank, you're cool, too. <laughs> Trey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, I'll start with the tattoos, I guess. All right, I'm going to do fast facts. Um, I have tattoos. I like metal music. I was born in Vermont. Um, that's all I got. I like motorcycles. <clears throat> no, no, no. Tippy. <laughs> I regret that so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, um, so... I got home from church that day, and Jackie said, Tyler's going to regret telling anybody that was She was name. right. Yeah. She okay. was right. Um, <laughs> What, you you want to know about the tattoos? What do you want to know? Yeah, you you started got, them, but you really haven't finished. I got them. some here. Okay, um, roll it up. I just no, that's weird. I'll wear shorts one day. <laughs> it's too modest to show his calves. All right, you don't want to talk <laughs> about the tattoos. Go to your back. I'll just say about the tattoos. I mean, it, it started when I was eighteen, and I love them, and I, I want to get more. But having kids and liking motorcycles has kind of eclipsed that for now. Yeah. So I've got the Incredible Hulk on my ribs. Yes. He's half finished. Maybe one day I'll finish it. It hurt a lot, though. Um, okay. So, so, Advent 2020, a third of the Advent offering will go oh, to finishing the Hulk. That's totally not true. Alongside gonna, ministries, all the work you're head. doing with prisoners, forget it. We need to finish Tyler's oh, tattoos. That'd, so. be, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, um, I got to make this, a long, this long story pretty short. So... Uh, when I was 10, I started to have um, some neck pain. I started to have, like, restless leg, pain at night kind of a thing. Um, 
My mom didn't know what it was, thought it was maybe a pinched nerve or something. And so we got an x-ray. They saw something. We got an MRI. I think it was like within a day or two. I pieced all these memories together from people telling me, but I don't remember a lot of it. But um, in the MRI, they found I had a tumor in my spinal column in my neck. Uh, so it was kind of right next to the uh, spinal cord and causing all those nerve issues. And so um, when I was 10, I had a spinal surgery on my neck to remove that tumor. And then I was in a neck brace for a couple months. I, don't, I really don't remember that much about it. But that was when we lived in Florida. Um, I grew up in Florida until 99. But um, so anyway, I had a neck brace for a little bit. Our family moved to Prescott, Arizona, and that was part of my stepdad just finding work out here. Uh, and so I did all my high school years in Prescott. When I was 14, so freshman in high school, started to have some of the same symptoms. Um, I would trip a lot, like trip and fall a lot, uh, which is kind of normal for just awkward teens anyway. But it was a little more than normal. And so we got a checkup, and they found uh, that the spine had sort of collapsed on itself a little bit. So scoliosis, most people know, is that curvature side to side. Kyphosis is that curvature front to back. So kind of the opposite. And, and that's what was happening. So the weight of the head was kind of pushing the spine down, and it made like a stair step kind of a thing. So uh, no tumor, nothing like that, but just the structure of the spine was compromised. And so they had to go back and do another surgery. So the first one, they went in through the back. That was four hours. Second one, they went in through the front, and that was to avoid scar tissue, and that was, I'm told, nine hours long. Um, mm. But I was in a neck brace, and I was 14. I was in a neck brace for nine months. Oh, and uh, that was that was brutal. Um, there's tons of stories in the middle of that too. I remember thinking about suicide too, and it just was like a really hard. I got addicted to sleeping pills. I couldn't sleep without them, um, but thankfully it never progressed from there. So um, got out of the neck brace, and then when I was 17 um, in high school, started have the same symptoms again. And so what they what happened was when they went in through the front, they put a plate on where it sort of bent. Strain it out, put a plate on it. The plate grew, everything was good, but then the kyphosis started happening just above the plate. And so it's still that stair step thing. And so um, I remember that one most clearly. It was the most recent. And I remember coming home from school. Um, I had had the scan like that a previous couple of days. And I came home and my mom was sitting on my bed. And she's like, hey, come here, let's talk. And I'm like, uh oh, uh oh. Um, and I mean, she said, yeah, we, they found it. That, you know, it's that same thing. We got to go back and have another surgery. And then we just like broke down, both of us, for a while. We, I mean, I knew what was going to happen. I knew what to expect. It hadn't been that long. And so um, this was in between junior and senior year of high school. Um, and so I went back in. And this was a, a pretty intense operation this time. They had to go in through the front and the back um, to do and, and cutting around the scar tissue and all that Man, it was a 14-hour surgery. Um, you know, when you're under for that long, you probably know more about this than me than I do, but uh, I'm told that your some of your organs start to shut down, like the digestive system when you're just out that long. So recovery it was a lot rougher. Uh, I was in the ICU for a month. I was in the hospital for three. I had the halo brace, which is like what you see in the movies, the whole thing. Funny story about that. I have the halo part of the halo brace. You know how, um, you know, in, in some states they have the horseshoe kind of by the door for good luck? So in my house, we have the halo brace part, just the halo, 
by the door for good luck. Um, it's a great conversation starter. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, the, the recovery was long, long, long. And uh, tried to get tutoring to catch up with, with all the school I missed. I wasn't doing school during that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many stories. Uh, one, one other thing I wanted to say was, I'm thinking while we're up here sharing our stuff, I wish we could do this, like, take rotations with all of you because yeah. you all have stories that, man, I, I just would love to hear that. So let me just say as a blanket statement, we would all love to hear your stories, too. That's so true. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah. Um, so I had that operation. I was able to pass and graduate high school. I think I got a mercy pass on some of the classes, though. Um, but, yeah, so the way, the way things are now is I've got a... I think it's a six-inch plate or a nine-inch plate um, fusing uh, a large chunk of my spine. And then there are two rods that go up the side. And so I only have the top two vertebrae in my neck that move. Everything else is fused to, like, the middle of my chest or so. So if I look like I have a stiff neck, it's because I do. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot. Um, yeah, it's funny. Eleanor this morning, like, did something and, like, turned her head. She's just like a normal range of motion, but turn her neck. I was like, how do you turn it that far? It's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> Lots of other things I could tell with that, but that's, that's the quick and version. And then you bought a motorcycle. So then I thought motorcycling would be a great idea. Um, yeah. yeah. Just... And you, by the way, you do teach motorcycle safety, do you not? Yeah, fun fact. I teach uh, motorcycle safety for Team Arizona. Um, and I do that once or twice a month. It's been, honestly, I was really, the training process was brutal. And Frank and Cody at the time had to let me take, like, a week off work to, to go be trained. But certified through the state to give the instructor course. And, and, man, it's been such a cool way to meet people outside the church and meet people that want nothing to do with God or Jesus and just love them and while teaching how to ride motorcycles. It's just, it's and yet fun. some of those people have shown up here, too. Yeah, there's, there's at least one. So, um, yeah, she's, she's been... She showed up to one of the intro classes and was curious, and, and God was doing a lot in her life, and she's been coming. Yeah, yeah. it's been cool. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we've actually, I think, run out of time. Yeah, we're about three minutes over. We're right on time. That's great. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, there's so much more. I love doing this, um, and there is so much more. The passion that he has uh, for, and Liz has for foster care and adoption, you're going to hear more about that actually this weekend, I think, now. Because um, you're going to be the all of life interview. You're going to host and interview, be the interview. That's yeah, going to be interesting. Switch it up. Yeah, so it'll be fun. But the, the passion you have for that. And it's interesting how we came, uh, Tyler and I decided, all right, we're going to do this. We need a pastor of communities, but they need to also do CGI. And CG, pastor of communities and CGI would be too much to have people figure out. But local outreach fits you because mm -hmm. you have this passion for all. It's not like, yeah, this is going to be part of my job. I have to do it. You want to do this stuff, which is awesome. So I'm glad for that. And Trey, um, you've been a delight and a joy, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the kids love you. The, sorry, the kids. They're not baby goats. Okay, so they're <laughs> junior high and senior high students, okay? They, they do really love you, and I know you've connected with the parents, too. You forgot to talk about how being uh, a student pastor is really like being a pastor to parents, too, in many respects. And so, great. Well, Tyler, we're just glad to have you. Um, I, gotta t I, I, I don't know. I debated about this story. I'll come back and tell it, and then we'll be done. 
Uh, and again, just appreciate how much you've helped me in 2019. I said uh, a few weeks ago, I said, I never want to see those digits arranged in that order ever again. 2019 was not my best year, but uh, in a bad year, you were a good part of it. I really appreciate all that you've done for me. So um, when we hired Tyler, um, I had seen him on video. I didn't want to do the whole thing where we bring in the person and have him lead worship for a Sunday and then go, nah. Um, so... <laughs> Or, or, yeah, and then it, it just, I, I've done that before, and it's, I don't, I, I did it once, and I said, I'm never doing that again. So I saw you on video, and I was like, yeah, he can do it. But, you know, video sound and real sound are two different things. So um, you started on the 13th. On January 15th, we had our redemption-wide, all-redemption pastors meeting and leadership collective in this room. It was scheduled for Arcadia. And of course, um, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen that day, if there was going to be worship, because usually Josh Miles from Peoria leads the worship. And next thing I know, I walk in Wednesday morning and you're like, yeah, I guess I'm leading worship. So just right on the hot seat, right out of the gate, your third day here, you're leading the leadership collective for Redemption Church. And um, I was back there, Tyler was up here, and Stephanie was up in the um, uh, Eagle's Nest, and um, I remember you started singing, and it was the first time we had heard you live. And um, I found out later, I was, I was crying, Tyler was crying up front, and Stephanie was crying up in the eagle's nest. We had never heard anything like that before. So maybe we're going to have an opera night someday. I, you can do... Santucci or Baldacci or whatever, whoever it is, yeah, Gucci, Gucci, the Gucci bags, yeah. The, the most troublesome thing about your story is that I found out that Toledo, Ohio has an opera uh, organization, so anyway. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry I brought it up, all right. Um, let me pray, and then we're going to do ice cream. Now, if you want ice cream, you're going to have to sort of sit in, in your seats for just 30 seconds because Allison and I are the ones uh, serving it. So if you jam it up and we're back here, we're not going to get to serve you. So let, let us get through and, and, and serve parents, you. grab your kiddos too so Helena can kind of wrap things up and join us. I want to be really ready to get out of here. Hey, you know, things are never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we're blessed, Amen. Yeah, there we are. Um, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, these men and this team that you have formed here, and not just uh, the guys that are up here on this stage, but also um, Allison and Stephanie and Malia and Heather and Reagan and Caleb and, and, uh, and Randy, everybody else that uh, is serving here, uh, all the leaders that we have here, the community that we have here, you really have blessed us. Now, God, let us glorify you by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right.